0: In this episode of the Holy Bold Podcast, a comedian actually says something funny, but not on purpose. Also, I am once again asking for you to subscribe to the pod. And finally, we talk about why hell is actually a good thing and why you shouldn't apologize for it. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Holy Bold Podcast. Uh, you might notice my setup looks a little different than it has in previous episodes, and that is because my uh, janky old uh, mic stand uh, finally broke. That's what happens when you buy a cheap mic stand to start your first podcast is it uh, It breaks. What's annoying is that I've had this podcast stand, or the mic stand, for like a year now, and it worked all that time, and then I finally start the podcast, and uh, it goes the way of the dodo, Uh, but we are pressing on. I have uh, jury-rigged a way to uh, make sure that the microphone will stand, and so uh, thank you for joining me. So this is one of our excursus episodes, and as you can see, it is called Contra Miss Silverman, or Praise God for Hell. So uh, I don't know if you saw recently over uh, the last week or so, there has been a video trending uh, from a comedian who you have probably heard of. If you are uh, familiar with pop culture, familiar with uh, movies from the last, you know, 20 years or so, I think she I think she was on SNL back in the day. You know, she's pretty well known and uh, she has her own podcast, which undoubtedly Uh, has more listeners than this one so sadly she's out there spreading untruth so that's why you got to share the podcast you got to subscribe to the podcast so that uh maybe one day i will have more subscribers than miss silverman and uh all of the lies that she tells like the one we're going to discuss today can be counteracted by the truth Uh, mostly in jest there. But uh, Mrs. Or sorry, Miss. I don't think she is married. Miss Silverman is a professed atheist, as you're going to see in the clip that I am about to show you. And that's why um, it is interesting to hear her uh, talk about kind of a theological debate or a theological idea that one would imagine probably wouldn't actually matter that much to Uh, To an atheist, you know, Uh, or at least you wouldn't think it would be of the utmost importance to an atheist. So uh, it's a it's an important clip. And what she talks about is how she does not believe that hell exists, which, again, seems odd, seems obvious based on the fact that she calls herself. uh, Well, I don't know if she would actually apply the word atheist to herself. But at the end of this clip, she specifically says that there is no God. So. That is the definition of an atheist. So even if she wouldn't take the name, uh, that is what she is. Uh, so it seems odd that an atheist would need to clarify that they don't think there is a hell. Uh, but that is precisely what she does in this clip. So go ahead and watch or listen Uh Again, I say listen because the the best way. I mean obviously video is super cool, but I would love it if you went and uh, you know found your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe and leave a review or something. Uh, that would just be fantastic. But here is the clip uh, Listen in as Miss Silverman, Sarah Silverman uh, discusses her views on the doctrine of hell. If
1: you're in the range of my voice right now and you're someone who believes and fears hell, let me release you of that fear right now. There is no hell. I promise you. I promise you. I mean, what do I know? But I believe it with my whole heart. I mean, I, I was in New York before COVID, I was in New York and um, some kids were leaving, a Catholic school had just let out and they were leaving with their, you know, the kids were walking out of the school and I couldn't help myself. I go, there's no hell. And one boy looked back, he goes, what? I go, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult and I'm telling you, I promise you there is no hell. And the friend I was with said, you can't tell other people's kids there isn't hell. And I was like, I guess, but like, I don't what am I ruining hell for them? But if you are listening to me and you fear hell, please let me release you of it. And I promise you're not going to be a crueler person because you don't believe in hell. It feels good to be good. It feels good to be kind, you know? You're still going to make the same mistakes either way. But I promise you, that if there's hell... May God strike me dead right now. In Right now. See? No God.
0: So, as you can see, a relatively uh, brazen uh, assertion on Miss Silverman's part. Obviously, her main point there in that uh, particular clip from her podcast is to... Uh, Tell everybody that there is no sin. And what's funny to me, or sorry, not no sin, no hell. Uh, She wants everybody to know, look, guys, don't worry. There's no hell. You don't have to worry about, you know, uh, what's going to happen after you die. Because when you die, uh, she doesn't make any positive assertions about what there will be. But she certainly wants you to know that one of the options that you can take off of the table is... Hell, you don't have to worry about that. No matter what else you do need to think about, hell is not one of the things you need to worry about. So uh, we've heard what a comedian has to say about the afterlife, but I thought it would be good to contrast from that. To ask the question, well, what does God have to say about the afterlife? And so I want to look at uh, a passage from Matthew chapter 13. If you're familiar with Matthew 13, you know it is a, a relatively long chapter in which Jesus uh, rattles through a variety of different parables uh, about the kingdom of God. And one of those parables is called the parable of the weeds. Obviously, the text doesn't call it the parable of the weeds, but that is the name that we have given to it uh, because in the passage, in the parable, uh, Jesus talks about weeds. And uh, so Jesus tells the parable, but then a few verses later, in verses 37 to 42, Jesus tells us what the parable means. I would highly encourage you to go to Matthew 13, read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read you Jesus' own interpretation of his parable. So these are the words of Jesus, and he in this passage addresses the idea of hell. So we kind of get, we're presented with a choice today. The choice between a 21st century comedian uh, and her view of the afterlife or the choice of the Messiah, the choice or the 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 view of uh, God himself in the flesh. So, you know, I don't think there's a a lot of debate between which of those is probably a more valuable uh, insight. But let's hear what Jesus has to say just so that we can be sure on what his I hesitate to even call it a viewpoint. It's not a viewpoint, it's just he says what is. What he says is because his word creates reality. Literally, he speaks and existence happens. Uh, So, but here are the words of Jesus. Matthew 13, verses 37 to 42. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing. So let's quickly uh, walk through the assertions that Jesus makes in this parable, uh, the truths that Jesus proclaims in this parable. So the setting uh, Jesus the, the time frame that Jesus is describing is the end of the age. He says at the end of the age, what will happen? Well, God will send angels and those angels are going to do something. The angels will gather up. Something. What are they going to gather? Well, it tells us they are going to gather all the causes of sin and all lawbreakers. The aforementioned will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And uh, what we see is that uh, the Fiery Furnace doesn't just immediately annihilate them, but instead, uh, while they are in the Fiery Furnace, they still exist, they still have consciousness, they still are experiencing existence, they weep and they gnash their teeth. So, we have two sharply contrasting uh, views of the afterlife. One is from Miss Silverman, a comedian, and her view of the afterlife is that, well, whatever else there may be, there certainly is no hell. But the view of God incarnate, and again, I hesitate to call it a view because Jesus doesn't have views. He speaks truth. There, There is no... You know, Jesus doesn't have opinions. <laughs> Jesus has facts, and that is the end of the matter. So the facts of Jesus are that, well, there there certainly is a hell. And at the end of the age, he's going to send his angels, and the angels are going to gather up All the causes of sin and all the lawbreakers and those uh, things and people will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And in the fiery furnace, those people will experience uh, such pain that they weep and gnash their teeth. So. Obviously, uh, if you are a Christian, I sincerely hope that you are not swayed by Miss Silverman's uh, viewpoint here. You are not swayed by her opinions, which she herself acknowledges. She says, well, you know, who am I? What do I know? Uh, so it, it does seem that in a sense uh, she acknowledges that she does not have... Uh, a view into the spiritual realm that allows her to speak on this authoritatively. Uh, but what I find funny is that when she, she tells the story of, uh, shouting at Catholic school children, uh, what does she say? She says, I'm an adult and I can tell you as if being an adult gives you more authority to contradict God. Uh, That seems like a silly thing to say, but in some sense, she does uh, seem to acknowledge that uh, her knowledge may not be complete. Uh, And that's that's good. I'm glad that she can at least acknowledge that. But she said she does say she she believes with her whole heart. Uh, Isn't that the motto of of our age? Uh, You know, as long as you just believe something in your whole heart, well, then it must be true. And you should probably try to convince others of uh, of the stuff you believe with your whole heart, uh, even if there is no scriptural grounding for that belief. Even if that thing that you believe happens to directly contradict uh, what scripture actually says, well, you as long as you believe it with your whole heart, then, you know, you, you should probably share that. You should probably shout it at any passerby Catholic school children you see on the street you should just really try to make sure that everyone knows what your heart feels um it sure is a good thing that the bible doesn't have any passages about how the the heart is deceitful above all else and utterly wicked so that nobody can understand it that was uh, sarcasm the bible does say that uh just in case there's any confusion but so so uh to kind of introduce this topic, I did want to mention that that obviously Miss Silverman is not, in any sense of the word, the first person uh, to pervert the doctrine of hell. Throughout history, there have been uh, a variety of different perversions of the doctrine of hell. Many people throughout time have uh, decided that they know better than God on this particular topic, and of course, that makes sense because uh, hin- sinners— <laughs> tend to hate the doctrine of God's wrath. Sinners do not like to hear about how God will assuredly punish their sin. And so we come up with uh, a variety of different ideas that we can cling on to uh, instead of believing what scripture has to say uh, about these things. Uh, I would say denial is the safe haven of the guilty conscience. You, you don't have to face your sin or face its future consequences uh, if you simply deny it or the doctrines surrounding hell. Uh, so there are, uh, in these myriad different ways that people have uh, rejected the doctrine of hell, there are a, a variety of common uh, inconsistencies that people have uh, that that you can find in the views of these people who reject the doctrine of hell, and so I just want to spend a few minutes looking at three of these kind of inconsistencies that you will find in many of the views that uh, reject the doc, the you know the historical uh, Christian doctrine of hell. Which to uh, make it completely plain here, just so you for sure know where where I stand and where most of the Christian church has stood throughout, uh, all of church history. Uh, the Christian understanding of the doctrine of hell is what uh, has been called E C T. Uh, and those, those three letters stand for eternal conscious torment. Uh, So if you want to characterize what is going on in hell, uh, those would be the words that Christians have used to, obviously, as long as Christians have spoken English and thought about this idea, uh, they have used the words eternal conscious torment to describe it. Meaning eternal, obviously, it goes on for forever. There is no end point. Uh, It is conscious in that uh, it is not a, a sort of, uh unconsciousness, you are not knocked out, or, you know, uh, as some would say, and we'll talk about this more in a moment, you are not simply annihilated or winked out of existence, but you are conscious, you are uh recognizing and experiencing the torment, which is the T. Uh We believe uh, scripture teaches, uh, I think pretty plainly, as we saw uh, in the passage that I just read a moment ago from Matthew chapter 13, that the torment is it is how God uh, punishes the law breakers, as the passage put it. So uh, that is the Christian view that I am advocating here today, eternal conscious torment. Uh, so those who have rejected that view, uh, I think run into a few different consistencies. Now, not all of them run into every one of these inconsistencies, but, uh, I do think all of them run afoul of at least one of them. So, uh, the first one that I want to bring up is, uh, the idea that, or the reality that if you love justice, then you should love hell. If you love justice, you should love hell. Now, I don't know if you saw these this summer. I saw, I'll say, I live in the Pacific Northwest, so the amount that I see might vary or might differ from the amount that people in different areas of the country might see. But uh, I saw a lot of signs or a lot of people wearing shirts or, uh, you know, God forbid, COVID masks, uh, a variety of different uh, articles of apparel uh, or street signs that said uh, the phrase, no justice, no peace. So that what, what is their assertion there? Their assertion is that uh, justice is so valuable to them. They love justice so much, that they will not, uh, they will not be peaceable. They will not seek peace until there has been justice first. And that has been kind of the rhetoric of basically, you know, the, the, at least the more prominent part of our culture, the more influential part of our culture over the last uh, year or so, uh, such that it would be a fair assumption for, for me to say that our culture really thinks that they love the idea of justice. But I would say any of them who, and I would say it's probably a substantial portion, any person who, who chants things like no justice, no peace, but also rejects the idea of hell proves that they, they don't understand. Uh, they don't understand justice. Uh, They don't understand hell. They don't understand either of those things. Uh, So this is a a relatively important thing for us to address. Um, It it seems clear to me that a culture that that promotes the idea of justice so much should have some sort of idea of, well, what is justice and what is the standard of justice Uh, and Sadly, we are at a place where uh, most modern Americans and even many modern American Christians have rejected uh, the standard of justice that is revealed in Scripture, which is God's law, which, of course, is based directly on God's own character. And, and something that I find uh, very unique, or maybe just surprising, unique might not be the right word, but something you'll see as you look around at culture, especially uh, atheists or even agnostics, some of them. Uh, one of the most common reasons that many people would say that they uh, reject the, the notion of God, they reject the the reality of of any sort of deity is what can be called uh, the problem of evil. Uh, So the problem of evil essentially goes like this. Well, if God is good, then he must desire to destroy evil. But evil exists. Thus, God is not able to destroy evil and not all-powerful. Or uh, in addition to that, they would say, well, if God is all-powerful, then he must be able... To destroy evil. But evil exists, so God must not be good. So essentially, both of these propositions or both of these, you know, if then statements are meant to refute the Christian idea of God. They are meant to say, look, the God that the Bible describes, who is both all good and all powerful, cannot exist because evil exists. So, so it's very uh, interesting and surprising and, and somewhat confounding to me that people who, who want to say that God must not exist because he hasn't dealt with evil would also reject the doctrine of hell. Because hell is God's answer to the problem of evil. Hell is the way that God deals with evil. See, God is, he he, he is both able and willing to destroy evil and he will do so in hell. God is going to deal with sin. God is going to deal with evil. He is going to punish all of the evil throughout human history, but he is going to do that in hell. You see, I think some people have this idea of hell that it is something that is uh, disconnected from God, that it is, uh, you know, it is a lot of people have that idea that it is kind of Satan's domain. It is uh, his place and it's kind of Satan's man cave is kind of the idea that that some people seem to have uh, about hell. Obviously, uh, I don't think that is what the Bible teaches. I think instead what scripture teaches is that hell is actually God's hell hell is not the the devil's man cave hell is the king's dungeon and the king is God you see hell is where God will rightly punish forever the wicked rebellious lawbreakers as Matthew chapter 13 put it God punishes the lawbreakers in hell he is the warden of hell if hell is a prison, he is the prison master. And I think hell is proof that God is just. Hell is proof that God will deal with sin and wickedness and evil in the world. And so it's it's very interesting to me that people who hold up the, the so-called problem of evil as a way of kind of trying to disprove the existence of the God of the Bible would also reject the doctrine of hell as Miss Silverman seems to do, you know, she says that both she is an atheist and also that she obviously rejects hell. Uh, But it just seems odd because hell is God's answer to the problem of evil. You see, a society that is so obsessed with justice should actually love the idea of hell because hell is justice. Hell is uh, sinners, wicked people getting what they deserve. But the problem is, is that, uh, they just wish that God would punish the things that they hate instead of the things that God hates. You see the, that is the the issue is that, uh, the world hates very different things from the things that God hates. The world in fact, loves the things that God hates and, and hates the things that God loves. And so the reason I think that many uh, people won't accept the doctrine of hell is that they don't want the things that they love to be punishable by hell. Instead, they want the things that they hate to be punishable by hell. And so uh, they, they show that they actually love the things that are evil and wicked. So... Uh, that was the first one. If you love justice, then you should actually love hell because hell is where God will work out justice against all evildoers. The second uh, point that I want to make this one, I, I think will be a little bit shorter, is that uh, here it is. A rejection of hell is a rejection of God's holiness. Many people, I think, I think this one's a little bit easier and clearer to see, but we understand, especially if you've listened, hopefully to the the first few episodes of this podcast, we've been discussing the idea of holiness. And one thing that becomes very clear as you study the topic of God's holiness is that God's holiness is the source of his wrath. There's a passage that I want to read to you. If you've got a Bible handy, I would encourage you to pull it out, uh, open it up. Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 to 3 and to set this passage up. We're going to uh, be reading about two uh, young men who were the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. And these uh, presumably, well, they might not be that young. Actually, Aaron was uh, relatively old. Uh, So there's these two men, and they are sons of Aaron, which means they are in the priesthood, and they serve in the tabernacle. Uh, This is during the wilderness wanderings. And what we understand to be true is that uh, God... In, in instructing the, the Levites, the, that is why the book is called Leviticus, because it is a priestly manual. Uh, so Leviticus, written to the Levites, who are the tribe of priests of God. Uh, and the Levites are obviously the sons of the tribe of Levi. So uh, God, in the book of Leviticus, has given very clear instructions to Uh, the Levites on how they are to offer uh, sacrifice, how they are to carry out the ceremonial worship of Yahweh uh, at the tabernacle. And what we see happen in this particular scene, Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 to 3, is that these, uh, these two sons of Aram, Uh, They do not do as they are commanded to do, but instead they do something which they are not commanded to do uh, in the worship of the Lord, and we will see how God responds to it. So the text says this. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. I think maybe the most telling part of that entire passage, the, the seriousness of that passage, the gravity of what happens in that passage is the very last, uh, sentence and Aaron held his peace. Aaron literally just watched God incinerate two of his sons and Aaron apparently so recognizes Uh, God's prerogative to do this, that he holds his peace. See, I think what we can gather from this passage is that God's wrath is his response to the violation of his holiness. And there is nothing in the universe, nothing in all creation or outside of it that is more important than God's holiness or God's Glory, And you can see that directly in what the Lord says through Moses. So uh, Moses says to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. Sanctified is uh, the same root word for the word holy that we have. It is kadosh in Hebrew, meaning God is saying, I will be made holy. I will be set Apart. I will not be treated uh, in any other way than the way that I command. And before all the people, I will be glorified, God says. So God says, I will be sanctified and I will be glorified. And there is nothing, not even your sons, Aaron, are more important than God's glory or God's. Sanctification or God being set apart and, and held up, recognized as uh, greater, more majestic, better, uh, more magnificent than anything else. This is what uh, scripture reveals about God. And what we see in this passage, I think, very clearly is that God's wrath, as I said, is his response to the violation of his holiness so then the implication of that is that if you say well there is no hell like miss silverman said then you are implying that god isn't holy you you are essentially saying that god does not have a holiness to to uh vindicate would probably be the best word god god is not holy and so he does not need to vindicate his holiness that is, is what you say if you say there is no hell, because what God does in hell is he vindicates his holiness, his righteousness. And so if you reject the doctrine of hell, you reject the doctrine that God must punish sin, then you say that God is not actually holy. And of course, that is a completely untenable position for any Christian to hold. Now, obviously, we wouldn't expect that non-Christians would have an orthodox view of hell. uh, And and so that's why it's not surprising to us when, you know, a a woman like uh, Miss Silverman, uh, you know, says that she rejects the doctrine of hell. Well, it's like, well, you reject the doctrine of God, so I wouldn't really expect you to be on board with hell. Uh, But, uh For Christians, we must understand the importance of the doctrine of hell. God's holiness uh, stands or falls on whether or not he will punish sin. If God does not punish sin, if God calls righteous what is wicked, then God is not holy. Therefore, God must punish sin. Therefore, hell must exist. So that's the second one. The third one is that. Uh, Everyone hates hell and loves heaven, which is very, uh, I mean, that sounds, you know, obvious uh, uh, from from the get go. It's like, well, yeah, (laughs) why wouldn't everyone hate hell and love heaven? Hell is, you know, terrible. Hell is scary and painful, whereas heaven is eternal bliss uh, or as uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul would call it uh, endless felicity. Now, that sounds great. So, of course, people love heaven and tend to hate hell. But what I think is very odd is that people who uh, reject the idea of a literal hell almost never reject the idea of a literal heaven. And what this is, is I think this is evidence of uh, of poor, what we would call hermeneutics. Hermeneutics are the uh, the practices that we use in order to interpret scripture rightly. And so we have certain her- hermeneutical principles that we use, excuse me, certain her- hermeneutical principles that we use uh, in order to make sure that we interpret scripture uh, consistently and that we use scripture itself as the guide to interpreting Scripture, and so there are certain uh, you know practices that we keep in mind as we interpret scripture. And I think the rejection of a literal hell, but the acceptance of a literal heaven, seems to indicate a- an inconsistent hermeneutic because many of the passages that are taken to support the idea of a literal eternal conscious heaven are the same exact passages. Which teach a literal, conscious, eternal, tormentative hell. Uh, One of the key passages that I would encourage you to look at in order to see these two things directly side by side, spoken about in basically the same exact way, uh, is Matthew 25 verses 31 to 46. Uh, In order to keep things a little bit shorter, I try to keep the excursus episodes uh, shorter than an hour. Apparently that's about as short as I can possibly go. but I'm going to look at just verse 46. So, but I'll give you a little bit of an overview of the whole passage. Jesus is talking about the, uh, the final judgment in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Uh, and in that passage, he uses a metaphor of sheep. And goats. And so many of you are probably familiar with it. He he says to the sheep, you can come sit at my right hand uh, because you fed me when I was hungry and this list of things. But then he says to those on his left, the, the goats. Uh, you go away into eternal punishment. Why? Because the the same list of things, but they didn't feed him when he was hungry or clothe him when he was naked. You know, you, you probably know the list. But the, the relevant uh, verse for this particular discussion, the discussion of hell and heaven, is, well, there's a few, but we're going to look at verse 46. So Jesus says this to conclude this discussion of the final judgment. He says, and these, speaking of the goats, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So think about that verse. People use that verse to describe the idea of an eternal, blissful, heavenly existence uh, for the righteous or for those who are made righteous by Christ. Uh, And so we would point at that verse and say, look, this verse supports the fact that uh, heaven is eternal and it is good. It is conscious. It is fantastic. That's what we want. But this exact same verse says that the wicked, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment. That's the same exact word, eternal punishment versus eternal life. So if the life is is eternal then the punishment must also be eternal which this primarily stands in opposition and we're going to talk about this group again uh, more in just a second but this particular verse and and this this point about hermeneutics uh, mostly is meant to contradict those who uh, well there's two two positions uh, universalism or annihilationism universalists, uh, teach that essentially there is a real God, but he, he doesn't really punish sin. So the, 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 universalists believe in an afterlife, they believe, uh, that, that, you know, we all have eternal souls given to us by God. Uh, but God will not eternally punish sin, which obviously directly contradicts Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, which says that these, the goats, the the wicked, will go away into eternal punishment. So we know that universalism cannot possibly be true because universalism teaches that. And I think there are varying uh, stripes within the universalist camp. I think some would say that that there is a period of punishment. But then eventually uh, during and through that punishment, the the people in hell are brought to repentance such that eventually all of them will uh, accept Christ and be saved even after death. Uh, so that would be one. I think there are, um, other universalists who simply say that, nope, Jesus death just saves everybody regardless of whether they accept him or repent. And so nobody's going to hell. And obviously that would again, directly contradict this passage that says that the goats will go away into eternal punishment. Uh, so, uh, this verse clearly supports the, the classic understanding of hell, that there is eternal conscious torment. So I was going to uh, get into uh, three groups of people who reject hell, and I've already kind of broached that topic. We've spoken a little bit about the universalists who would essentially say, well, there is a real God. They they do believe that there is a God. They do believe in the afterlife, but they don't believe that he uh, punishes sin, or at least certainly not eternally. So they believe in an afterlife, but uh, not eternal punishment. Uh, but then there is a second group, and this second group, uh, we would call them annihilationists. And what they would say, they would again agree that there is a real God and he will punish sin. But the way he will punish sin is actually Different than the, the classically understood doctrine of hell. So they would not affirm eternal conscious torment, but instead they would say that uh, upon their death and their judgment, excuse me, upon their uh, judgment, when they are deemed wicked, they will simply wink out of existence. and And the phrase that many would use to describe this would be the phrase conditional immortality. So they would say uh, those who have accepted Christ and who are saved, their immortality will be true immortality. They will live on forever, eternally. But those who reject Christ and those who uh, have chosen to uh, remain in their sin, their immortality will be stripped from them and they will just cease to exist again that would seem very strongly uh, to contradict the idea that uh, is is put forward in Matthew 25, verse 46, of eternal punishment. The punishment that God is going to carry out against the lawbreakers is an eternal punishment. Therefore, annihilationism must not be accurate. It must not be a, a correct view of hell. Because uh, the the punishment that will happen in hell is eternal. It will not stop. So that is uh, a second group. There's the Universalists. There's the Annihilationists. And then, of course, there are uh, our old uh, enemies, the atheists. I was going to say friends, but what fellowship does light have with darkness? None. So they are not our friends. They are our enemies, but... As Christ teaches, we love our enemies. What a predicament we Christians are in. So obviously the atheists would say there is no God. So ipso facto, there is no hell. That's essentially what uh, Sarah Silverman, Miss Silverman says, uh, you know, you, you saw at the end of the video. She very cavalierly, you know, shouted out to the God that she doesn't believe in and and said, God, if there is a hell, strike me down now. And she paused silently for a moment and then gleefully looked at the camera and said, see, look, no God. There must not be a God. But if you don't uh, believe in God in the first place, uh, I think we could safely say that you're burying the lead to say that there is no hell. That's like saying, well, the restaurant uh, has no steak, and also there's no restaurant. Uh, This is a very odd assertion to make as an atheist. Like, obviously, we we understand you as an atheist don't believe in hell because you don't believe that God exists, and hell is God's dungeon. So uh, a very weird assertion for her to make, like, I guess if I were her and I believed what she believes rather than uh, shouting at Catholic school children and saying there is no hell, uh, it seems more sensible for her to shout there is no God. Uh, Yeah, It, it just seems very odd that that's what she would lead with. You know, she she sees these little school children coming out of their their school in New York City, and she decides the most relevant, most important thing she can shout at them is not that the God they believe in doesn't exist, but instead that the hell they believe in doesn't exist. Like you would think if she's really trying to help them out from her perspective, that she would just lead with the fact that, well, there's no God and then let the implications work themselves out. Uh, but well, the wicked mind is foolish. So that is that. So I wanted to conclude with something that might, uh, taste bitter in your mouth. Uh, but it is something that I think we all need to recognize, need to, uh, need to become, if not comfortable, at least accepting of, Uh, So the conclusion has to do with, you you see in the second part of the title of this episode, praise God for hell. So I want to tell you why Christians should joyfully accept the doctrine of hell. To begin with, I I think we should say that there will not be a single righteous person in hell. There will not be anyone in hell who doesn't deserve hell to be in hell. I'm reminded of, uh, the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18 and 19. If you remember that story begins with, uh, it begins with Abraham pleading with God and he is pleading because he knows, uh, that his friend Lot lives in Sodom and he doesn't want Sodom to be destroyed because he fears that Lot will be destroyed along with it. And so, uh, Abraham begins pleading with God. And, and one of the things that uh, he, he, he kind of says is, well, if there's this many, uh, righteous people in the city, will you still destroy it? Uh, and he, he kind of whittles it down. He starts at a high number and works his way down. And eventually he gets down to the number 10 and, and he asks God, if there are 10 righteous people in the city, uh, will you refrain from destroying it? And, and how does God respond? Genesis chapter 18. Uh, I don't have the verse number in front of me, but, God says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. So what what can we gather from this verse? Well, we can gather that God is completely unwilling to, to punish the righteous. He will not do that. I, I love Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. He who justifies the wicked... And he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So God himself says that he who condemns the righteous is an abomination. So, of course, we understand that God will never condemn the righteous. It is completely outside of his character. It is the exact uh, and. and what is the word opposite? You know, uh, there, there's a antithesis. That's the intelligent sounding word I was trying to remember. Condemning the righteous is the exact antithesis of God's character. He would never condemn the righteous. So I think we understand uh, that there is a, a difference, at least one of the many differences between heaven and hell is that hell will be full of people who deserve to be there, but heaven will be full of people who don't. See, every single person in hell will deserve to be there. And not a single person apart from Christ himself who merited our salvation, he gave us his righteousness, he alone merited heaven. He alone deserved heaven heaven and no one else in heaven deserves heaven. So hell will be full of people who deserve hell, but heaven will be full of people who don't deserve it. This, uh, again, this reminds me of, uh, the, the story of, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so I want to read to you, uh, two verses from that story. And again, this is uh, where Abraham is pleading with God. And, and I think there's something else that we can see and recognize uh, from this passage. So Genesis 18:24 and 25. Begin quote now. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just you see because we know that sorry that's the end of the quote but because we know that the judge of all the earth is righteous we can be certain, absolutely certain, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that the punishment that he will mete out in hell is a just punishment. And if we doubt that the, the punishment of hell is just, then we doubt the justice or the justness of God himself. So, as Christians, I, I think that our duty It is to thank God for his justice rather than to mourn its severity. You see, we should look at at the wickedness of the world and we should be thankful that God will bring justice to this world one day. And the way that he will do that is through hell. Romans 12 verse 9, a portion of that passage says, abhor what is evil. Christians are commanded to abhor, to hate. This is the strongest word for hate that exists in the New Testament. Abhor, despise what is evil. You see, Christians, I I think we get the idea that we are supposed to love what God loves. Like, that makes sense to us, and and God is, you know, God is love. And so, of course, we want to love the things that God loves. But we must also hate God what he hates. And as long as we, we have a soft spot for the things that God hates, we will not fully be able to understand his justice. And instead we, we will again, uh, mourn the severity of God's justice or mourn the severity uh, of hell, because we do not understand God's holiness. We do not understand what it means to abhor what is evil. But when we hate what God hates in the way that he hates it, then we will see the perfect logic of hell. We will perfectly understand. And of course, I don't think we'll ever quite get to that uh, level until, the, uh, until we are glorified. But we should be striving for that. and We should not be muttering under our breath against the justice of God that is displayed in hell. So uh, again, I think Christians should should rather uh, praise God for his mercy to us than question his wrath against others. You See, I think we can very, very foolishly uh, begin to think that God's wrath against this person or this group might be unjust. But I think rather than answering back to God, rather than questioning him and, and, and worrying about whether or not hell is just, we should instead be praising God for his mercy, that we are not justly receiving the sin or receiving the penalty for our sin, which is hell are the punishment that we deserve is damnation. But Christ uh, took that for us And so we should uh, gratefully heed the advice of Romans chapter 12, verse one, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul says that the, your life of worship, your body given as a living sacrifice should be done in light of the mercies of God. You see, Christians should be so uh, keen on so, so, so enamored with the mercy of God, which means it includes having a right recognition of what we deserved, which was hell that, that rather than questioning God's judgment, instead we, we, we present our bodies as living sacrifices. We, we uh, worship him spiritually. We worship in spirit and truth as, as Jesus says his people will do. And I fear that as long as we doubt the justice or the holiness of God uh, by, by doubting the justness of hell... Uh, We, we show that we are not rightly understanding his mercy to us. So I think Christians who trust in God's perfect plan, his perfect will, who trust that he is the judge of all the earth and that he will do what is right. We should be able to say with joyful hearts, praise God for hell because it is just. It is right that he would punish wickedness and sin, and in light of his mercy to us through his son, we should live lives as living sacrifices to him, holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual worship. So. Thank you again so much for uh, listening in th- uh, to this excursus episode. I uh, believe that I will have another episode for you this Friday. And this time we'll be talking about the holiness of man, which is a somewhat controversial topic. And so I hope that you will join me on Friday. That episode episode should be live uh, on Friday morning. So uh, I would Again, I I showed you the Bernie Sanders meme earlier. Uh, Sorry if you're just listening, but if you're familiar with the meme of Bernie Sanders from that YouTube ad that was uh, ubiquitous uh, last year, early in the year, where uh, it seemed like every time you tried to pull up a YouTube video, Bernie Sanders was begging you to support him. Uh, Well, I'm doing the same. Please subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, go hit like on the Holy Bold Podcast Facebook page uh, for more of this absolutely stellar content that you're getting. I'm sure that's exactly how you feel about it. Uh, But I will stop rambling. Uh, If you want to uh, follow, there are uh, ways that you can do that in the episode description on the podcast or on screen if you're watching this video. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. I am grateful for each and every one of you. Have a great uh, rest of your week whenever you listen to this. Farewell.